a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, we're joined by my friend Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Eric, always look forward to our weekly visits. Uh, how are you today anyway? Oh, I'm, I'm in such a good frame of mind knowing that uh, three or four years from now, they might not spend an additional $50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the, this kind of fiscal responsibility is a rare thing, but uh, wow, I'm happy to see it yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, but you know, uh, to get into a little bit what we talked about off the air, uh, I, I've decided that it's it's better psychologically and uh, for a number of other reasons to stop focusing on this clown show and focus on the only vote that does matter, which is our ability to say no to so much of this. No, I, I agree. And and sadly, there are a lot of people who feel like, well, but that's not an option. You know, you have to you have mm-hmm. to do something. And, it, you know, maybe you hear me. You have to vote for the lesser of two evils or whatever. Let's talk about the power of no as, as it applies not just to voting, but to a lot of other things? Well, there's the ballot box, and then there's the box that matters, uh, you know, our wallet and the decisions that we make. And I think that uh, perhaps a couple of years from now, when we look in the rearview mirror at, at the moment in time that we live in now, we might realize and appreciate that this business with what happened to Bud Light uh, was the, the moment at which things began to turn, at which people began to see that saying no does matter. Think about how many individual people simply said, you know what? No, I'm not going to buy Bud Light beer anymore after they saw what Bud Light put on the can. There wasn't really anything organized as such. It was just lots of people saying, I'm not doing this. And, of course, it metastasized in a good way uh, into a mass boycott. But the point stands that if enough people as individuals and then collectively say, no, it does have results. No, it's it's true. And, and yet, uh, I think there's a lot that's arrayed against us to make us believe, well, no, now you you have to do this. There's this imperative. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on anybody here. Pride Month is a couple of days away. And I yep. look how hard the really radical elements on the left have gone just in the last year. And, and I, I don't even know if I want to know where they're going to go for the next, you know, 30 days when, when June hits. Well, maybe it's a good thing, though, uh, because now people do see the true face. Um, do you know who Andrew Sullivan is? Um, I don't. He, he's a writer. I've been around for a long time. He's a gay dude. And he wrote an article uh, that I thought was actually quite uh, interesting in that he said, you know, it's no longer a question of gay people simply wanting to, you know, be left alone and uh, live their lives. It's now about pushing this agenda onto people. And that's the distinction that I think is important to make. And that these people, the people who are pushing this LBGTQ plus XYZ thing, Um, are doing, ultimately, I believe, to their great disservice because they are abusing greatly the goodwill that most people have in the sense that most people just want to live and let live. They're not, they don't care that the guy down the road is gay and, you know, whatever. That's not my business. I don't care. But it does become your business when he starts to push his agenda onto your kid or when you're confronted with it, when you're trying to go to the pet store to buy stuff for your dog and you're confronted by it. At that point, the goodwill goes out the window and this is the backlash that they're inviting. And I think it's something they really ought to give some thought to before they continue to push it. No, I would agree. I would agree. And it's, I I actually saw an article, I'm going to share this later on in the show, but 
we have we've reached this point of insanity where things that were formerly not just private acts, but, you know, uh, there, there was a certain amount of shame in that, you know, you wouldn't go around advertising this about yourself. That has yeah. been turned into glory. And and Dylan Mulvaney yeah. is probably a good example of this. There, There's a time where, where people, polite society would have said, you know what, this really has no place in polite society. But uh, there's Dylan out there stumping for, you know, uh, Budweiser or Bud Light or whatever. And, and it's been turned into a, a source of fame and recognition. And I guess that's the inversion of reality for you. Well, also, Sullivan made the interesting distinction um, or talked about this whole business of queer, you know, which doesn't pertain merely to sex. It's to aberrancy, to oppositional behavior as such, to, to just uh, be against everything that's normal and traditional. And uh, that is not something to glorify in. And you're talking about a small minority of people who have some strange predilection who like to wear the opposite sex's clothes and that's fine but you know they want to they want to radically push that on people uh, as a kind of bizarre abnormal normalcy and that's just not going to fly here here and yet for a person to say yeah i'm not down with that well you better be prepared to take some shots if you know i mean people will line up to swing at you for for not being on board and chanting in unison some people will, but you know, I think a lot of that is illusory. Uh, it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz when they peeled back the curtain and they saw that the great and powerful Wizard of Oz was really this little old man who was pulling the levers uh, and making a big show. I don't believe that most people in this country share this radical uh, agenda. I think most people are just ordinary, everyday people like you and I. And the 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 the, the effort that's underway is to try to make us feel as though we're the outliers, that we're the weirdos who just don't get it, when in fact it's a very small minority of, of highly radicalized people who whose influence is greater than their numbers by dint of the fact that they do wield control over things like the media and corporations and that can magnify their their uh, their presence and make it appear as though these people are the majority, and I, they're not. Yep. It just, it. I guess what I'm getting at is it, it, to, for you to live your own life to march to the beat of your own drum, if you will, um, it requires a courage that uh, that I don't think was necessary even just, you know, a generation ago. Well, it depends. You know, I don't know that that's necessarily true. There were certain third rail topics you couldn't talk about back then either. That has always been something that's existed in human culture generally, not just in the United States. Uh, however, I think what's changed is that the general mindset of tolerance for difference in, in terms of having a different opinion has changed. Uh, it is now very difficult for people to express um, uh, unorthodox, uh, heterodox opinions in a public forum because of the, the tsunami uh, of woke outrage that will be directed at them if they do it. And that sort of Stalinist ideological kind of thinking is what has got to be challenged or it's going to get much, much worse. Yeah, well, and it'll be backed by, you know, uh, central bank digital currency, social credit scores, things that that will actually put teeth into you will have the right you know attitudes or like uh, the unvaccinated you will be locked out from from polite society yeah these people they they are not right in the head i read something the other day about jane fonda urging that essentially uh, you know, white men are all racist and responsible for the despoilation of the planet through climate change and ought to be caged and arrested simply by dint of the fact that they are white males did you catch that one i did see that yeah, and that is, again, it's a good thing, in my opinion, because 
these these people on the woke left are revealing their true colors. I think they kept it behind closed doors in the closet, so to speak, for a long time because they understood that it would be received in an unfriendly manner by most people. But now they feel empowered. And of being deranged, they also don't have the ability to kind of step back and look at themselves and say, you know, most people probably don't think this way. Most people aren't going to like this. They actually are convinced in their delusion that this is the, you know, this is the right and moral thing to do, which is what makes them dangerous. But on the other hand, it also makes them vulnerable because of their arrogance and their purblindedness. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. So I guess when, when they get bold, they also get careless. And that actually mm-hmm. works, works to our advantage because the mask slips off. Yeah, here are, here are two good examples from history. Napoleon and Hitler, both of them became so flush with their sense of their own omnipotence that they were infallible, that nothing that they did could ever go wrong, that they made the same idiotic mistakes, didn't they? You know, Hitler went ahead and attacked the Soviet Union uh, and, and created a two-front war and assured his own demise. And Napoleon tried essentially the same thing, trying to march onto, uh, onto Moscow and got overextended, and that was the end of him and the French Empire. That's what happens to these people. Their arrogance is their undoing. Speaking of, of arrogance, let's talk a little bit about uh, the goings-on in, in Ukraine. Um, mm. there, there seems to be an, an ungodly amount of arrogance in, in how that, uh, that conflict is being sold to us and the duty that we have to continue to provide as much taxpayer dollars as <clears throat> possible to fund this war. Well, yeah, and you've got uh, things like Lindsey Graham going over there and publicly uh, essentially slack, smacking his lips over the death of Russians financed by Americans. This is immensely, immensely dangerous stuff. Uh, you know, you're screwing around with a country that has nuclear weapons and has the ability to inflict enormous damage, not just militarily, but otherwise as well. And for what? So this, this, it's, it's of a piece with the face diapering and all the rest of it, this mania, this purblindedness, this single-minded refusal to acknowledge there might be an alternative way, insistence that we must back Zelensky and the Ukrainians no matter what, that there is no reasonable alternative to this. And it's another form, it's an etiology of etiology of this insanity that's taken over the leadership of the West, both uh, politically and in terms of corporations. Yep. And it's, you know, of course, the, the checks are being written in our names. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not exactly like, well, they can go play their silly games. No, they, they would like to uh, drag us down and, and perhaps uh, draft our children and send them to fight as well. Eric, hold they that thought. Hold that thought. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. We are up against okay. the break. We're with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. I have a link to his website in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. Eric, we had to cut away here at the end of the mm-hmm. last segment. Uh, I just I wanted to give you a chance to to kind of finish your thought about. Uh, I think I was mentioning something about the the checks are being written in our name, whether we like it or not. Our kids are the ones at risk of being drafted mm-hmm. for World War Three. And uh, you started to make a comment. Unfortunately, I cut you off. What what was it you were saying? No, that's okay. Well, the, the thing that's worrisome is that even the, uh, the 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 people on the other side, the Democrat, the left, does not like this war for the most part. Biden got heckled again the other day over it, and yet they continue to push it. It makes you wonder what they're up to, you know. 
And it's very possible, I think, uh, to, to, to contemplate the possibility that they want this thing to expand, you know, perhaps so that Biden can become the war president and president for life or whatever. I, I don't I don't put something like that entirely outside the uh, the realm of possibility, given the kind of people that we're dealing with. Man, heaven help us. I mean, yeah. Hey, if it came to choosing which chocolate chip ice cream, he's the first guy I would turn to. Mr. President, what do you think? <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I I don't exactly feel secure. <laughs> with yeah. with him calling the shots. Yeah, there's something more at work and going on here than the usual geopolitical machinations, because this is a loser uh, for everybody, uh, literally, except for perhaps Zelensky himself and the cabal that seems to be running this country, uh, running it into the ground, which may have a, a, an agenda that will be furthered by uh, escalating this war, possibly even into the point of having a nuclear war. I mean, you know, they, I think would be willing to do that if they thought that it would it would preserve or enhance their power. Yeah, or and and this is I think this is a likely scenario or cover up their crimes, be it uh, you know the peddling of influence on the part of the Biden family or just simply all of the COVID lockdown, um, you know, origins of the the COVID-19 virus itself and gain of function research. I don't know. I don't know who to believe these sure. days because there's there's a lot of conflicting information, but I, I'm not convinced that uh, Ukraine's hands are clean, and I'm certainly not convinced our own government's hands are clean. Now, these people are bad people. You know, that's the axiom, axiom that I think we have to proceed from. And keep in mind also that uh, it was very convenient that the uh, the day before 9-11, uh, the, uh, there was this spruhaha about where did something like a trillion dollars go in the defense budget. And, and there were news stories percolating up about that. And boom, the very next day, uh, there was 9-11, and the Twin Towers went down, and WTC-7 went down, which is something else you don't hear about much anymore. Right. And all of a sudden, nobody cared about that. And Bush, who was hugely unpopular at the moment before, was all of a sudden the war president with a 90% approval rating. Oh, and, and look, I remember how people fell in line. That was actually, that was my awakening as a conservative, because I considered myself a conservative. And man, I cheered when the military was called out and sent out. Yep. And... Suddenly, you know, for the first time in my life, I went, wait a minute, you know, this president who campaigned is, you know, we're going to, you know, have a constitutional government. He was anything but constitutional. And I had to part company with a mm-hmm. lot of my brethren and sisters on the right because I felt like they, they were abandoning principle. Well, sure. How much more of a clue in do you have to get? The man said, literally, it's just a goddamn piece of paper referring to the Constitution. Right. That's what he said. Right. Yep. And when someone tells you who they are. You should probably believe him. Exactly right. Did you did you catch so, the, the Freudian slip he had? I guess it was about a year ago when he was he was condemning. Oh yeah, a one of several. <laughs> Which one are you talking about? <laughs> he, was, he was condemning uh, Putin and condemning you know Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but he was like this unjust uh, war and and uh, invasion of Iraq. I, I mean Ukraine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, Bush tells the truth inadvertently more often than he'd like. Yeah, it's it would it would be it would be funnier if if there weren't so many lives that were horrifically affected and and so much more that's at stake. But you know, hey, he's part of the young yep. crowd, so you know, I guess he can afford to joke around and have a few yucks, you know, at the expense of uh, you know several million people in a country where sure. most of us have never been. Sure, I mean, keep in mind, Joe Biden's got his underground bunker. Joe Biden's not going to be missing any meals, and neither are the other people who are pushing for this war. 
uh, their, their nests are nicely feathered, and they don't care about us, per George Carlin. You know, it's really imperative that people understand that. These people do not care about us, and that's the best-case scenario. I think the, the worst-case scenario, which is, which is true, is that they loathe and despise us and enjoy making us suffer. It certainly feels that way. And, and now, we've, I think we correctly identified the problem, but, uh, but the solution, I think, as you have pointed to so many times, is not, well, then we just need more government to fix this problem. Yeah. It's, it's to, to learn to create space between yourself and the systems that are trying to rule every aspect of your life. Yeah, just say no to it and decouple from it. You know, it's, it sounds like an enormous task, but keep in mind that small, uh, big things usually start small. And when they start, it seems like they're not going to get anywhere. You know, Rome was not built overnight. You've got to start somewhere. And that doesn't guarantee that you're going to end up with what you want. But it does guarantee you're not going to get what you want if you don't even start or try. Here, here. Let's take a moment, Eric, and uh, talk about uh, you. You were reviewing the new Genesis uh, GV60, and yep. it's it's remarkable and also a little bit frightening. Tell me about that. Well, what's frightening about it? It's the first new car uh, that I've dealt with that has not just a key fob, you know, keyless ignition or keyless unlock the doors. It has a fingerprint and facial recognition system, so that you can unlock the door by having your face scanned and then start it by using your finger to uh, fingerprint to unlock the ignition. And of course, it's being marketed to people as, as another cool technology and a uh, convenience. But it creeps me the heck out to think that, uh, you know, the car is fingerprinting me or I have to be fingerprinted in order to use the car or have my face scanned. And, and where is that data going to go? Keeping in mind that all these cars are connected wirelessly to the hive, meaning the corporate government nexus that's going to have access to all that information. Yeah, that does have a kind of dystopian feel to it. You know, do we want to get to the point where you can't buy a can of pop from a machine uh, without touching it and having it scan your fingerprint or retinal scan your eye? They do that in China already. That's part of their social credit system. Like if you want to use a vending machine over there, you know, you don't just put your debit card in or put your money in. They don't have physical money, I guess, anymore. Uh, you stand in front of the thing and let it scan your face, and then that that connects you to the uh, the high mind, which then decides whether your social credit score is good enough for you to be able to buy a can of pop. Yeah, that's that's another place I'd really like to go, and yet it seems mm-hmm. inexorably that's that's the direction that uh, that most of society is being led. And I don't want to sound pessimistic, Eric. I think a lot of society is going to go along with this. Um, number one, for convenience' sake, it's the path of least resistance, but also because they, they don't realize that there are alternatives. I think a lot will, but and I hope to gosh I'm not wrong about this and being naive about this, but I also think a lot won't. Uh, I think our, our childhood is at an end. I think that a lot of people, not all of them, but a lot of people have clued into the fundamental malevolence of all of this, and that while there may be convenience aspects to some of this technology, it's not under our control technology. And the people who do control it, do not have our best interests at heart. People get it, I, I think, and there's going to be a lot of pushback against this. I, I hope so. I hope so, too. I'll tell you, every time I go out to collect eggs from my chickens, I feel like I have struck a blow for freedom. That may seem yep. like a small thing, but it's it's very real to me because it's one less uh, dependency that I have to turn to if I want to, to access something that I need. Yeah, me too. You know, and I feel the same when I throw a log on the fire in the wintertime, a log that came from my backyard, from my forest, uh, that I cut that's under my control and that can't be turned off by a central utility. 
And I'm continuing to expand along those lines, as you are, as a lot of people listening to us are. Uh, and the more that you do that, the less dependent you become, the less vulnerable you are to these people who don't have our best interests at heart. Here, here. Eric, I appreciate visiting with you each week, uh, as always. Uh, for the sake of people who want to visit your website, tell them where they can find it. Oh, sure. It's epautos.com, pretty straightforward. Or you can just put my name into any search engine, and it will probably direct you right to, right to the site. Very good. And I would recommend, don't just read the articles, look at the comments, too. Eric has, uh, I think, a very uh, well-informed audience. You'll learn a lot from them as well. My friend, have a great week. I look forward to talking next week. Ditto, Brian. Thank you very much. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Just a quick uh, moment of love here for my sponsors, including ClimbingUpward.com. By the way, uh, Dr. John Pulver has still an excellent value for my listeners. If you go to ClimbingUpward.com, if you want to uh, purchase his music at ClimbingUpwardMusic.com, just put in the code HYDE, H-Y-D-E, save yourself a chunk of money. Also, TMCPNation.com, Borelli.com, LifesavingFood.com, and MonticelloCollege.org. All great sponsors of this program, all making this show possible. Well, it's no secret Christianity has been kicked out of the public square in modern America. I mean, look, within our lifetimes, it wasn't just kicked out. It was like actually tarred and feathered and then kicked out. Rode out of town on a rail, all those cliches. Paul Rosenberg has a really eye-opening essay on the faith that moved into that vacuum, the West's new faith. And I think he's right on the money. He says, Christianity, as people in their 60s and 70s have observed, has, was pushed off the public stages of the West over the past two generations. And he says, at this point, whoever speaks well of it in such places must be prepared to absorb blows. Boy, isn't that the truth? I mean, it's, it's an epithet now to the point where, you know, well, you know what you sound like as an advocate of Christian nationalism, which I guess is kind of like being a Nazi, only, you know, you're waving the cross instead of a swastika. I don't know, but it's, it's definitely an epithet, and uh, it's, it's not something that, that uh, is spoken of with, uh, with any kind of respect or even reverence by people in power. Paul Rosenberg says, <clears throat> nonetheless, nature abhors a vacuum, and just about everyone, including the most strident atheist, requires something to believe in. And so the exit of Christianity drew in new faiths, and one in particular, to replace it. Faith, whether it be called religion, anti-religion, or whatever, is a practical requirement for nearly everyone, simply because people aren't prepared to face an overpowering universe and all the uncertainty into it, in it rather as a lone individual. They require beliefs like a man requires garments in winter. He says the people who pushed Christianity out of the West, however, were anti-religionists and abysmally bad at mythology. So they didn't even try to replace the old myths until fairly recently, and then poorly at that. So their new mythology came together haphazardly. He says it, in fact, was unclear and confused 
which gave all sorts of rehashed lunacies an opportunity to plug in. By the way, that is the most diplomatic way I have yet seen to describe, you know, the the kind of zeitgeist that is uh, floating around us right now. He says, perhaps a still greater problem with this mythology is that it made course correction all but impossible. With nothing specified, each new edition had equal standing with what had come before. So as long as they weren't friendly to the old Christian way, there was no justification for removing them. So he says, this, I hope, helps explain the current craziness of the West. And then we can add this to help round things out. He says, a semi-coherent group of people bent on destroying the old ways finally succeeded and then replaced them with nothing at all. Because they only knew how to tear down, not how to build. Yeah, you see that a lot, right? Tear down the statues, tear down the schools, tear down the street names, tear it all down. It's just kind of how they do it. He says the one thing they did have was a very old superstition. It had been around for more than 6,000 years, and while it failed continually, it had a tremendous pedigree, which was enough. And since pedigree was sufficient, it seems that no one cared to identify its central dogma. But he says, I think it's necessary to get specific. The lords of the new faith promise this. We will regiment human life. As a result, your life will be cleansed of pain. Our rules will eliminate evil, error, even hurt feelings. Now, if you stay with that statement for a couple of minutes, he says, I think you'll see that it stands behind nearly all political action in the modern world. It actually deserves being repeated. We will regiment human life. As a result, your life will be cleansed of pain. Our rules will eliminate error, evil, even hurt feelings. I would add one small addendum, that not one shall be lost. Kind of has a familiar ring, doesn't it? He says it's also the case that the new faith has a private dogma, and it pertains only to those who are clever enough and aligned well enough, but he says I think it's too important not to mention, and here it is. If you are accepted into the party, you'll have power over other people. Now, Paul Rosenberg says this private dogma is crucial because the new faith needs armies of such people to keep their machine running. Christianity promised justice in the future, in other words, a final judgment, whereas the new faith is more ambitious, claiming that it will eradicate pain and irritation in the here and now. He says it's also interesting to see that believers in the new faith act precisely like disappointed Christian believers when their faith fails to work. Consider the Millerites, who sold all their possessions back in 1844 and waited on hilltops for Jesus to appear. Now think of believers in the West's new regimentation faith, as the solemn promises of their leaders fell flat. If you take the vaccine, you won't get or spread COVID. In the face of failure, both groups displayed the same reactions. The Millerites looked for a new date and then believed on it. The regimentation believers pretend the broken promise never happened holding their faith above reality and expecting perfect results next time. He says, there's more to say on this subject, but I think I've covered enough for one post. That's pretty powerful stuff. And I think he's right. If you look at what's going on behind all the political action in the modern world, it comes down to the idea that with enough power, we can regiment human life to make a utopia. 
And of course, this means we'll have to give up a few things, you know, freedom, and we'll have to give up, you know, property and autonomy, especially bodily autonomy. Take the shot. Come on. I guess there's also, I'm, what I'm reading into this, and I could be wrong, so, you know, take this with a grain of salt. I think this uh, also indicates that if you are a person who, who believes in or embraces Christianity, it's not going to get easier from this point on. Like the Christians of old, you're going to have to put your faith into action. Now, does that mean you're going to get fed to lions in the Colosseum? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there will be some modern equivalent of that. But I think the hatred that the world showed toward the early Christians is it already is, is, is being seen in some quarters. And it's very likely to come back again as, as more and more of these uh, really radical leftist ideologies capture the institutions of our society. I mean, I don't, I don't want to get too, uh, I don't want to get too worked up here, but you know, drag queen story hour. That's taking direct aim at, at a number of, you know, sacred cows, so to speak, for, for Christians, or at least people of the Judeo-Christian foundation. And one of the most sacred cows that it's taking aim at is the innocence of children. I don't mean for this to turn into a sermon, but I think even, even the casual observer, even those who aren't believers, would agree if they ever thumbed through the New Testament that uh, Jesus had a pretty soft place in his heart for children. And in fact, he often told his followers, you you want to attain the kingdom of heaven? You want to join me in the kingdom of heaven? you got to become like a little child. That doesn't mean, you know, gullible. It means humble, meek, submissive, at least to the right kind of authority, which he would point you toward his father's authority. It's interesting. I was having this conversation with my daughter uh, just the other day, and she's she's in her teens, so, you know, because you can imagine there's, there's some opportunities for some pretty interesting conversations. But one of the things we were discussing was, uh, you know, how religion is, is portrayed as this is the source of all the evils in the world. Oh, yes, Christianity, why, it's a terrible, terrible thing. It makes people unhappy. It puts rules on them and expectations on them. And I'll admit, as a, as a teenager... It was pretty easy to buy into that idea of, well, yeah, this is taking away all of this. is telling us, basically, you can't have fun, or you should, you should put off anything that is fun, you know, for some later time. Save it for marriage, or whatever the case may be. Now, I'm looking through slightly more mature eyes, including eyes that uh, had to learn things the hard way sometimes. And what some people see as, you know, horrible, inflexible prison walls that, you know, kept them separated from fun... I tend to recognize more as guardrails placed alongside a very dangerous cliff that I happen to be traversing and not there to deny me the fun of experiencing what gravity had to offer, but rather to protect me so long as I was willing to work within those guidelines. I do know this. What the world holds out as happiness is usually pretty temporary and somehow always seems to be inseparably connected to long-term sorrow, suffering, and regret. 
the guidelines, on the other hand, that the creator has uh, put in place? I don't know. Seems to be a lot more happiness staying within them. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Please consider signing up for a free copy of my show notes each day that I do this program. Here's what it'll cost you. A little trip on the internet to thebrianhydeshow.com. Click on show notes. Down at the bottom of the page, you'll see a subscribe button. It's going to ask you for your email. If you plug in your email, here's what's going to happen. You will not be spammed. Your email will not be shared with uh, potential advertisers or multi-level marketing organizations or anything like that. I will simply drop you a copy of my show notes for each day that I do the show. And you can uh, follow up on the various guests or commentaries that I'm sharing that day and, uh, and you know, just peruse it at, at your convenience. What you do with that information, totally up to you. I'm just trying to give you a little more material and a little more perspective to work with, but I'm not insisting you have to agree. That's why it's in the show notes. Now, having said that, here's a fantastic article. Pick this up over the weekend from lewrockwell.com. It's titled Woke Melodrama, Turning Shame to Glory. And I, I don't want to sound, you know, like I'm, I'm frustrated or otherwise, you know, I'm worked up and ready for a big rant. But like a lot of people, I look at, uh, you know, here it is. Today is May 30th. I'm looking at the calendar page and going, oh boy. Pride Month kicks off in two days. And as crazy as things have been, over the last, just the last year, let alone the last several years, I can only imagine that the woke are going to be outdoing themselves in every possible way. Right? Every time we think, how could it get any crazier? It, it does. So I'm, I'm thinking they're going to be at full throttle. <laughs> they're going to be at screaming at the top of their lungs. And uh, for us, we have the responsibility, those of us who do not embrace this ideology, to, uh, to still be good, decent human beings, okay? This is not, uh, let's go out there and shout everybody down who disagrees. But we also need to be able to recognize what's going on for what it is. And woke melodrama, that seems like a pretty reasonable description. The article says, this week, far out in America's heartland, Lizzo repudiated law and mangled grammar in one easy stroke. The heavyweight singer counseled kids at her recent Nebraska concert, don't let any laws tell you who you not. She pronounced herself a safe space for transgendered children in a state that just banned gender mutilation surgeries. Now, if you've seen Lizzo, you know that's plenty of space. This morbidly obese entertainer, doubling as the face of body positivity, prances around in lingerie that showcases her flesh in a most appalling fashion. Like all the people in larger, like all the people in the people in larger bodies movement, she pretends that her obesity defies the laws of nature. In her shameless universe, extreme overweight is both sexy and healthy. Her statement supporting transgenderism was no surprise, given the unholy consortium of causes that embodied the left. A motley crew has gathered under one nasty and everlasting or ever expanding tent, rather, to champion every illogical idea and se sexual proclivity that comes along. Abortion activists, pansexuals, socialists, Satanists, transgenders, the proudly obese, and pedophiles 
to name just a few, have joined forces against everything good, beautiful, and true. For a while, the left's worst ideas were limited to college campuses, seedy chat rooms, or Hollywood. Eventually, they were camouflaged in social movements appealing to broader, more compassionate impulses, multiculturalism, the war on poverty, women's rights, and love is love. Many imagined they could spur social enlightenment through education, ecumenical unity, or the fictional better angels of our nature. But over time, the unity shtick wore off. More radical ideas found feet through angrier people who stormed our gates from within. We got schooled in social justice, the ultimate Trojan horse. Since then, no orderly beauty, not math, science, or language, has been left unscathed by its inclusive slash-and-burn campaign. Still, it's worth asking why so many willingly entertain those who advance ludicrous and wicked causes. The Dodgers invited the especially vulgar Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to its Pride Night game. Schools allow delusional males to run roughshod over female athletes, abandoning the females to this newly fashionable abuse. Pink-haired teachers post insane rants on social media, yet continue their work in the classroom. Drag queens with names like Pickle or Little Hot Mess now visit libraries as the literacy mascots of the left. Our celebrities, CEOs, intellectuals, and influencers follow the same suicidal script as the masses under their sway. An assortment of far-left constituencies find morbid unity in the magic of transgenderism and abortion. The darker or weirder the idea, the more likely that someone on the political left will defend it as health care or basic human rights. More than their unifying craziness, though, they've drawn together, they're drawn together, rather, by their common hatred for a God who created order and sovereignty who will not bend or cave to their wishes. They resent the gnawing shame they feel under his gaze. Rejecting his authority over bodies, they hope to destroy him, finally free to soak in the glory they chased. Our cultural elites only play supporting roles in a drama that opened long ago. We met its main characters in the garden scene, when Satan first led the first image bearers to rebel against God. As children, we think Satan is a horned devil, but according to Scripture, he was beautiful and esteemed among the angels but he would not submit to the kingship of God. It was a glory he craved for himself. His hapless images to topple the throne still fuel his rage against the king, and he seethes at the image of God in lowly man. Well, today the drama employs no heavy biblical language, not even the heavy tones of Charlton Heston. It's more like a woke remake of Revenge of the Nerds than the Ten Commandments. Culture is cheaper and cruder now, more accessible, you could say. In the plot, yesterday's miscreants and perverts bask in today's juvenile culture, where viral limelight brings ultimate glory. The plot has unfolded nicely. We once regretted abortions. Now we celebrate them. Obesity was a disease, but now it's a marginalized identity. Transgendered people were mentally ill, but now they direct national policy. As I write, pedophiles are now misunderstood, well on their way to applause. Good is evil, and evil is good, and shameful acts bring glory, the scenes repeat over and over again. One of the actors in our woke remake is Will Thomas, a tall male swimmer who pretends to be a swimming champion by cashing in on popularized mental illness. 
Since then, several other desperate men have trounced their female competition with cycling and track times that would have earned them no prizes among their male peers. So they found a back door to the fame and glory they craved. What more can be said of Bud Light pretender and profit destroyer Dylan Mulvaney? A foolish, mentally unstable young man claws his way to the spotlight by acting like a female spaz. A caricature whose shrill stupidity annoys, annoys normal people rather within two minutes. His recent marketing glory was only possible because an even crazier person thought it was a good idea. That does ring pretty true, don't you think? The author here says, I used to marvel that seemingly intelligent people can vote for suicidal policies and platforms. They seem unfazed by the freak show of the political left, the gender cult, rioters, socialists, and globalists that lust for our collective ruin. They kindly countenance the left's bizarre embrace of crime, absurdity, and mayhem. They're being empathetic. Isn't that good? Elites with impressive degrees and expensive homes link arms with those who will ultimately pull them over the cliff. But this isn't a new thing. It's just the latest version of the enemy's old trick. Like the oldest actor and great imitator, Satan, our culture promises to avenge shame and replace it with glory. Disgusting behaviors, vile practices, riotous rage, all of it is pronounced innocent and covered with a gossamer cloak of just superiority. Every person on earth wants a little bit of glory. Those who imagine they will successfully keep religion at arm's length must reckon with these realities. Something must define good and evil, and something must relieve us of our shame. It will either be the omnipotent God who revealed himself in Scripture in the language of DNA, or will it be the pagan whim of capricious and fallen men who, oddly enough, can't define woman? Now, the beauty of it all is that in truth, there is something that can turn shame to glory. But it's neither the woke melodrama of the left nor the moral rectitude of the right. The author here says, halfway through our real-life drama, God's Son accomplishes this in the violence of willing sacrifice. He bore our condemnation and carried our treasonous shame, and for the left and for the right, that's the only path to real and lasting glory. I understand. For some people, it's going to be like, hey, that turned out to be a sermon after all. But I really think there's, there's a, a marvelous description there of trying to turn shame into glory. Look at what Hollywood celebrates. Look at what our popular culture celebrates. Do you imagine the White House is going to go all out for Pride Month as well? Just keep in mind, truth is still truth. Right does not become wrong just because powerful people have endorsed it with their stamp of approval. In other words, stay true. Stay strong. This is The Brian Hyde Show.